Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome. Hey. Hi there. So we've got a great show this week. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of the first things that we found out about the NASA rover mission and uh, looking into some different things. Gatorade's making a wearable patch. We'll get to that in the news. I don't know. What do you guys think of wearable computing? Just real quick. Well, I, I like my smartwatch. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, do I. I think this is something that's coming into its own now. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past and we've got some stuff coming up today. So, you know, we'll have to see where it is. We're going to be looking at some stuff dealing with cord cutting a little bit later in the show. And we're going to be reviewing a new game that's available on Steam that uh, Bill found out about. He's going to be joining us a little later in the show to talk about that. So I've got some good topics for you this week. And send us your questions and your comments. We're on social media, one user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. You can call us 503-766-6264. And with no further ado, let's find out what's in the news. Today's news is brought to you by 503 Uncorked, Sherwood's neighborhood gathering place, featuring local wine, spirits, beer, and eats, with covered outdoor dining, takeout, and weekly live music. Make a reservation or order online at 503uncorked.com. Apply the user-friendly discount code or tell your server to receive a 15% discount. So what is in the news? Samsung announces new TVs. Samsung's going to have a couple of new models available this year, including a production version of a 110-inch television. Mm. Also, a 75-inch television designed to be used outside, so it's waterproof and has an ultra-bright <laughs> panel for direct sunlight. So I have to ask the okay, question. Okay, all what, of a sudden, I keep thinking of Weird Al. We're, yeah, with my uh, that's a hundred inch. We've actually gone beyond <laughs> that now. Two thousand. That was a two thousand inch TV. Oh, okay. So that's, we're not. <laughs> we're not there, there yet. yet. Yeah, we're we're not quite there yet. But uh, I mean, in all reality, a hundred and ten inch. When do you get to too big? I, I, well, yeah. it's. <laughs> That's the question. Is like four or five feet wide too big of a TV before it starts getting into like a movie screen size? Yeah. But I mean, and do we need to have a discussion with Ray Bradbury and Fahrenheit four fifty one? Yeah, yeah. I it's like oh, the big TVs everywhere. And that uh -huh. seems to be where we're getting. I think I, you know, I'm going to just skip this. I'm going to buy a billboard that's capable of changing screens because you can get those up to four K now. So I'll just put that in my living room. <laughs> That'll work. Right to repair laws in Europe now require 10 years of use. Now, what exactly does that mean? Okay, so a right to repair law says that you can actually fix something you buy. I, I'm oversimplifying, oh. but that's what it is. So in the United States, an example of this is they want to uh, do a right of repair law for automobiles. And what that would mean is, is that the manufacturer would have to provide the same technical information, availability of tools and parts to you that they do to their specific shops. So in other words, if you have the skill, you can fix your car. And the European Union is taking this a step further, saying that they want you to be able to fix any device for up to 10 years. That means parts would be available and there would be instructions on how to do it. The idea with this is two things. Number one, if you buy something, you can continue to use it and it doesn't go away very quickly. And the second part of it is, is the amount of e-waste being produced by this life cycle. Computers are about three exactly. years. Phones are about a year in some cases. And it's producing a tremendous amount of waste. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Let's see. Verizon recommends turning off 5G on 5G phones 
to save the battery. Yeah, this is kind of funny. And this is an example mm. of where you have to handle uh, how you present yourself properly, because the reason this even became an issue was people were asking about battery draw on 5G devices. And when you are on 5G, it will use more battery, it seems, on a lot of the newer phones that support that. So Verizon, instead of just saying, yep, this is a thing and you have to charge or, you know, something like that, they came up with a statement that gave really no information at all and kind of deflected the whole thing. And then later came up with a statement that the best way to handle it is to go into your settings and turn off 5G. Of course, the question one would have to ask, what is the point of having a 5G phone if you're forcing exactly. it in 4G mode to save the battery? Yeah, mm. exactly. <laughs> okay, this, this one seems a little weird. Yeah. Gatorade makes a patch to tell you how much Gatorade to drink. So this is just an example of wearable technology. I mean, I don't... Uh, yeah, okay, it makes sense that way, but I mean, you know. <laughs> so the idea here is, is you actually wear a patch. It's made by Gatorade, and uh, the way that they showed it being used was on your arm. So when you exercise, it can detect what things you need in your system if you're dehydrated, need more salt, that kind of stuff. And then it's able to send the information to a phone app made by Gatorade to tell you to become more hydrated. Now, as much as this might come as a shock and surprise to everybody, it suggests <laughs> that you drink Gatorade. And, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, the idea hmm. of this is actually kind of cool, that they can monitor your biometrics and stuff and be able to do that with this type of a technology. Obviously, there's the potential of it being a little bit biased because the manufacturer is going to want to use it to sell their product. Okay. But, <laughs> I have an idea now, hmm. and you heard it here. It's it's a patch that you wear in the bar, and oh dear, you're you're past a certain point of drinking alcohol. No more for you. <laughs> I mean, that would be a cool idea. I don't know if the technology exists to do that that way or not. And it's well, if it works for Gatorade, yeah, why not alcohol? Right. I mean, it would stand to reason, <laughs> right? But I think until uh -huh. we can find that out and it becomes a thing, continue to do the breathalyzer, um, <laughs> or better yet, if you're drinking, don't drive. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the end of the day, I think that we're going to see a lot more improvements. These type of technologies are used in a little bit more serious way to be able to do things like detect a stroke coming on. Smartwatches, uh -huh. they figured out a way to detect some people if they have COVID. So these type of technologies are a real thing. And it is actually something that's kind of fun. Although, you know, the Gatorade side of it's a little bit interesting. It'd be like, of course, it's not going to tell you to go drink water. But it still does seem to work. Light-up tattoos are a thing. Yeah, so Jeremy, I know you read a little bit about this. They're, from my understanding, they're coming up with a tattoo where they implant LEDs. Yep, they put, they put LEDs. I mean, these are going to be really small and very thin LEDs under your skin, underneath the tattoo, so that it lights up. Now, the one question that I would have to ask about that is if there's a battery and how you would deal with that. Yeah, and, well, uh, you know. Re remember years ago when they wanted to shove little uh, ID chips under our skin and a lot of people were like, uh -uh, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> this well, is kind of along the same line. So if you have LEDs under your skin and you need an MRI, do you have to have them removed? Um, I would think that we'd have to come up with more letters for all that. No, the, uh, the, the <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, and, and this is a good question on all these kind of stuff. Now, one of the things, the ID chip, Gretchen, that you're talking about, which is a very similar technology to what they use in animals right now, does not require a power supply. It's RFID, right. so it's powered when they bring the scanner over it. Okay. But a light, on the other hand, would need some kind of a power source to light up. So uh -huh. it's just my curiosity on, uh, you know, not making an opinion on whether this is a good thing or not, 
but it's more the idea of, you know, how would that work? So uh, maybe you lay your arm over a charging pad every day, you know, <laughs> I, do, I do like that. I think the best mm-hmm. thing is just for everybody to become cyborgs and then it could be powered off your internal power supply. And then that would be cool because you could light up and everything. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I could get into that. Uh, what's next in the news before uh, I get the phone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one is battery technology lasting 100 years. Well, then maybe there's our answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't think they can have enough diamonds for that. Though. But, yeah, but will t- it work with the, the Zircons? Well, uh, okay. So, yes, it will. In answer to your question, Gretchen, you can use a, a human-made diamond to be able to do this, there is one downside to it, and it's that it requires a radioactive field to operate. So you have oh. to have beta uh, and gamma radiation hitting the diamond to be able to create the electric field. So the application of this obviously is a lot more limited because of that, but they are looking at for things like spacecraft. Makes sense. Mi- okay. Mining operations, you know, places where that kind of a situation wouldn't create too much of a problem. And so we're not trying to turn everybody into Bruce Banner with green LEDs. Not yet. <laughs> um, you can do that with a suit at the moment. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not costume. saying, and I'm not saying that won't be a thing, and I'm not even saying it's not a thing right now. But it's not what we're trying to do with uh, radioactive diamond power supplies. But the one thing that is interesting about this, in all seriousness, is this idea that batteries are a big deal for the next generations of technology between electric cars and everything else, our devices, everything runs off batteries. So they keep on trying to improve the battery technology to be able to support all that with lithium now and some of the older formats that were used, NICADs and so on, have all been generations and steps in this type of a thing. And while a diamond-based battery might not be something that's workable in that kind of an environment, I do think that we're going to see in the very near future the ability to have very long and very in-depth storage. And there's a lot more push for this kind of stuff now, like what happened in Texas with the power grid and the storm and that type of thing. Classic energy you can't store. So you send it out to the lines and it's used or it's not. Battery technology changes that. Tesla has some products and there's some other companies that do that are working in in this area. So the idea of getting good batteries, getting a good power supply, and getting a good way to save energy like that is definitely something I think we'll see on the horizon. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome back to the show. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey. So we get a lot of different movies and video games and stuff like that to review. And I know we got a code for Steam for something that's new that's out there. I don't know anything about it. But what do we get? Well, we got a game called Arcanium, and it's still in the beta testing phase. So uh, it's an early release game at this stage. It's kind of an interesting game. Um, It's a roguelike that also uses uh, RPG elements in cards style gaming um i know those all sound very weird probably for the rest of my crew here um but a roguelike is basically kind of a game where you go through and you gain resources and stuff like that but if you die you die okay and then you restart but usually there's some kind of mechanic in the game where overall your character gets better 
Um, this is the same way your characters level up. You're not expected to get through all of the stuff that's available within like the first try. Right. Um, it is a role-playing game similar to older style uh, RPG, Fantasy VII, things like that, where you have three characters on screen. But the mechanic that they use instead of having a menu saying, oh, I want to attack or I want to defend or I want to do special is you get a hand of cards for each character. And those have uh, a value of how much uh, ability points or whatever you can do. Uh, They have different things they can do. Like one of my favorite characters, you get fireballs or you get uh, scorching rays, basically. And each one does a different effect and you can target different other er enemies on the field um, because of like how they work. And it's an interesting one because, you know, as you go in the game, you get equipment and stuff that make your characters better while you're playing each session. And then when you play, you know, you get defeated. I've, I've played through a couple and I've been defeated about three times, but each time you definitely feel like you're getting better and better because your characters are leveling up and then there's cards and all that kind of stuff are leveling up with it. Okay, so is this a little like, a bit like magic or something with the cards? I mean, that's the kind of the comparison I'm at least getting a little bit here. I guess for a comparison that you would understand, it would be like, you know, your rotation that you have for World of Warcraft. Right. If each of those was a card, and so you had a randomized deck that you drew each time you uh, were on a round. Okay. You know, uh, like on a turn, like D&D. Instead of having, oh, well, I'll use my bow, you would have a card that was your bow that you drew. Okay, all right. And you reshuffles in and such. (laughs) Okay, so that kind of makes sense. I think, uh, you know, interesting. So is it random? Or or what? Yeah, it's got a random factor to it. There's also abilities the enemies may place upon you will put cards in your hand that you have to either just deal with or use and take the negatives with them, like uh, being wounded or something like that. So it either takes up ability, you know, things that you could be doing or you're going to be risking a lot. Okay. All right, so let's talk about a little bit where this came from. I mean, we have our console games, PlayStation and the Microsoft and all the Xbox and all that kind of stuff, but you can definitely play games on the computers, and they don't sell them on DVD anymore like they used to or CD. You download them now, and this is what we're talking about. Tell us a little bit about what Steam is and kind of this path to be able to go online and buy stuff virtually. I would say Steam is probably the first one, and it has definitely been something I have used for well over a decade. I guess you could say it's an online marketplace for games, for PC, and for VR. Uh, But it's also, it incorporates other things. It has the ability to have friends list. It often handles a lot of the ability for anti-cheats and multiplayer. Um, So it's got a lot of other integrations to it. Um, one of the features that I liked a while back was that if I had a key for a game, you know, that I bought years ago, uh, like, what was it? Warhammer 40k Soulstorm, I was able to take that CD key and punch it in here and it would still give me the game and allow me access to it on a digital thing. So I didn't have to go find my CDs to try and install. Yeah, and I know that's a nice feature. I I think I got my SimCity back that way. Uh, it was a similar type of thing. I don't know if it was through Steam or the Electronic Arts, but it was where you could put the key in and you actually still owned it so you could download it. And, you know, from that kind of a standpoint, there's a lot of debate over whether it's better to go with a virtual distribution system like this or use physical media. 
But honestly, from everything I'm seeing on the PlayStation 4 and the even the newer platforms like that, if you get a disc, all it's really doing is going out and downloading the game anyway. Has that been your experience? I'm going to throw it out as two different angles on that, though. And this is something that I think console games, there's a reason I still have physical media. Usually, first of all, yeah, there is usually a lot of updates that you're going to download on a PS4 or an Xbox or a Switch. Um, but at the end of the day, the disc gives you your key. You know, it's not just linked to your account like a, di- uh, a digital purchases. Right. So if I want to lend my copy of Borderlands 3 to my friend, he might not have the DLCs, or if I have the special edition, he might, um, depending on how the games worked. You know, there were some that they, all of it was on the disc and all that. But I can still loan it to him and he can still play, you know, a good short pun- uh, chunk of the game. Whereas right. digital distribution... There are some ways to work with it, but you know it, what I own on Steam is mine. I can't just be like, "Oh, well, I'm done with this game. I'm going to sell it to my friend." Right. So or, it's a one one time purchase. Now, Jeremy, um, we have about thirty seconds left here. I know you're a proponent of physical media. Why do you find that better? Because what happens when your internet is down? If your internet is spotty, if you can't connect, tw- you know, with a really good connection and keep playing consistently. You're either stuck with not playing at all, or you you play for a couple minutes and then it pauses, and then you can play for a couple more minutes when it unpauses. Right. That that's just not the right way to do it. Right. And I know in the world of movies and that kind of thing. Now I used to do this with CDs, but I found I've had a box of them and haven't touched them in years. So that was kind of the end of that for music. But movies and definitely games, I agree with. There's something about having the physical item in hand. Well, anyway, this is User-Friendly 2.0. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask your questions and we answer them for you, or at least try to. How do you submit your questions? I'm glad you asked. It's a couple of ways to do it. First way is to give us a call, 503-766-6264, or go on social media, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, and we have a website, userfriendlynation.com. What are our questions this week? How did the NASA rover mission go? Uh, It went well. Actually, yeah, this no. is kind of a... a really Actually, I wanted to see it. There was supposed to be a VR thing that I missed out on, and I didn't know that you had to watch it at the exact time. And I thought it was something that I could check out later. And Actually, so I was... You can. It is out there. I can? Yeah, it is out there. If you have an, like an Oculus or a headset like that, the video is out there in VR. And okay. Uh, it's actually very much worth seeing, and they're actually posting a lot of different information. And you know, this is actually something that is really quite amazing. The rover, I you know, started out saying it went well. The reaction is that it couldn't have gone any better than it did. It descended. They have to go from an extremely high rate of speed to one mile per hour in a very short distance. The mm-hmm. rover touched down as it was supposed to. It's working as it's supposed to. And we've got a couple of cool things coming back from this. For one thing, the first ever audio recording of Mars. Oh, really? So you can actually hear what it sounds like on Mars. It's really kind of cool to listen to, too. Okay, and, you've got to give us the information or give me the information, and I'll share it on social media on 
how we can like watch Listen this. To it. Or, yeah, no, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely put that out there. And yeah, you know, and I just thought that was really kind of interesting because it is the first audio of an alien world, a real. And then it also has a drone. I don't think they've used it yet, but it's the first helicopter drone type device that's going to be flown on a alien world. So this <laughs> will be able to go around and photograph things. And the rover, of course, has a lot of experiments and stuff. But the one funny detail about this is, is it's powered by the equivalent of a 1990s iMac processor. I thought that was fabulous. And they're able to do all of this. So it just kind of goes to show. <laughs> is it possible to play the same music on all my smart speakers at the same time? Yeah, bo- most of the main systems uh, do this. And the configuration's different. If you're on an Echo system, you go into your app, and there's a way to set up groups. And then you can ask the smart speaker to play on that group, and then it will synchronize the music on all of the different speakers that are part of whatever group you have set up. And Google Home works the same way or in a similar fashion. The thing of it is, is what's really cool about this is if you use a music source like Pandora or one of the many different things out there for that type of thing, you can have the same music playing on different speakers in different rooms throughout your house simultaneously. So this is possible to do, and it's actually something that definitely has a good reason to do it. What is a dark store? Well, that's easy to Other answer. Other than closed. Yeah, that's, a, that's a store where the lights are turned off, right? So uh, Yeah, well, you know. I was thinking maybe the dark side was sold there, you know, Sith operations. You know? Yeah, those are all good guesses. Uh, you mm. know, correct, but uh, <laughs> this is actually something that's becoming more popular in Europe, and we're starting to see here. And the term refers to a store that doesn't have a storefront. They only do delivery. So you would oh. order through a website. Somebody mm. delivers what you've ordered. I guess in a way, Amazon could be considered that because you don't walk into an Amazon store, although they are trying versions of that in different markets. But generally speaking, you order from their website and it's delivered to you. Walmart, on the other hand, would not be a dark store because even though you can have things delivered, you can still walk into a store. So that's the difference. Hmm. Cool. What's the difference between Hulu TV and Philo besides over a $50 per month fee? Yeah, cost, monthly cost. We've had a lot of listener questions kind of with different variations of this topic. I'm getting the impression that there's a lot of people that aren't impressed with uh, Hulu TV right now. And um, (laughs) Hulu TV is different from Hulu in that Hulu TV has the cables like you would get on uh, channels like you would get on cable. So your history channel, that kind of thing are through this. The biggest difference between the two, uh, Hulu TV runs about 70 a month. Philo runs about 20. So there is quite a difference in price. Philo does not tend to contain the sports networks or the mainstream news channels. So if you want that, then you might go with the higher option, or you might get something like ESPN Plus and Philo TV for the other channels, and that might actually cost less. So it kind of depends on what you want to have available and what you want to watch, what you would subscribe to. And it's one thing you want to be careful with, because it's easy to spend a lot of money on these subscriptions. But if you sit down and do it right and figure out what you actually need, you can still save a lot of money over cable, which is what's driving the whole cord cutter thing that's been going on for the last couple of years. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0, and I've got a question for you. Would you stay at a hotel in space? They're betting on it, and they're actually trying to get one up by 2027. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but uh, Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome back to the show. What do you think about this? Bill, I'll start with you. I mean, there's a lot of leeway there. I mean, space travel has come so much farther since when it started in the 50s. <laughs> yeah. Um. As far as myself, I mean, I, I could never see affording that in my lifetime. I mean, granted, I've seen a lot of things drop in price, but, you know, I'll be well into my 40s by the time this thing's in space. So <laughs> you know, definitely see how it goes. And this is not something you'd want to see drop, I don't think. Gretchen, what's your feeling <laughs> on it? I mean, you'd, you'd have to get on a space shuttle or something to get up there and get yeah. back. What do you think of that? I, I just, well, I just keep thinking about the logistics more than the actual travel back and forth though that would be an important aspect the docking uh the undocking um then if the thing spins you know that's how they generate gravity okay it spins okay so and that's like the space station spin okay Mm -hmm. so they probably perfected that little maneuver i would hope um but when you talk passengers staying somewhere (laughs) that means luggage that means food that means refuse, that means oxygen. Um, then the thing is, is what else, why would you stay there? Are they going to first make it out to um, researchers, you know, like science or um, students? Or is it just going to be, you know, just anybody? I, I, I've got questions. Yeah, they're calling it a space hotel. Yeah, so space, I'm assuming it's for everybody. Okay. Well, everybody that would have the money to stay there. And I think that's a good oh, yeah. point. They're calling, Do they say this price? Uh, they don't say the price yet. And they're actually talking about a couple of different reasons for it. The tourism is definitely one. Also to offer it to governments who want to train soldiers and that type of thing. I would imagine that it would give some background for that. Researchers definitely would be part of it. And the other thing that I think is interesting about this is the name right now is Voyager Station. And to play off the Star Trek analogy, it looks like Deep Space Nine a little bit. Um, yeah. In, in the way that it's designed, kind of like this big wheel sitting up there. It's, it's a, a giant li- roulette wheel. It's a little more cheery with the light colors than uh, Tarek, Tarek Noor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the, photos, the photos they've got of their renderings, you know, it looks nice. It looks like it'd be a, a pleasant place to stay. You know, it's just whether, yeah. So then it's but it's just basically you know how how you get there, how do you stay, how does all how does it all work? I mean, is it like a really bad camping trip, or is it going to be one of those high end hotel stay things? Well, you have to train before you can go. Yeah, that's a good Mm. question too, because you're dealing with a completely different environment here, which is uh, you know something that you might have to be useful and it's you know some of the description it does say guests might be in space but they can still enjoy regular beds and showers so it seems like it is built around that idea at least a little bit um you know but the thing of it is is it does seem like getting to that point and being able to know and what would happen if you had a medical emergency too you don't exactly have access to be able to deal with that as directly unless they had a hospital on station yeah they would almost have to yeah so they're talking about warm suites, cheek bars, restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all that type of thing. But they're also planning to serve traditional space food, as they call it, 
freeze-dried ice oh boy. cream. Oh, boy. Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, I, re- I remember this stuff when I was a little kid. Yeah, me too. Uh, there was something they called space food sticks. I don't know if the Freeze-dried ice cream. Yeah, I don't know if the astronauts really had this stuff in the tang. This stuff was so cool when I was a little kid. You know, <laughs> powdered powdered orange drink. Yeah. Tang. The thing, <laughs> thing about space food and space travel in general is that every pound of everything has to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, you know, it's one of those things like this at this stage, you know, we've we've made it past the 50s and we've had a lot of time putting stuff into orbit around our planet. Whereas, you know, going back to the moon landing, they had to account for the amount of fuel burned landing versus the amount of fuel needed to get off the la- or off the moon again. And, you know, how much air they were going to breathe that got converted to carbon dioxide. I mean, there were so many calculations, but, you know, this is definitely not going to be nearly as complicated. But going to the food thing, yeah, there was a lot of freeze-dried stuff because it was lighter. Yep, and that would totally make sense. And Yeah. You know, being able to bring stuff up and back would definitely be part of it. So the center of the station, there's no artificial gravity. But as you move to the outside, the feeling of gravity increases. So that does sound like something a little bit sci-fi, and it's kind of cool that they are going to be able to do this, or hopefully they will. I mean, again, right now, this is all theoretical. But well, yeah, so th- <laughs> they're going to try. Well, the, the theory of the artificial gravity is literally just centrifugal force. So that's why it's built like a wheel, as it spins. Right. And literally just the gravity, you know, the it's like a tire on a bike. It's Everything moves to the outside. So that's the thing where you got to look at it as the exterior edge is probably the floor. So you're going to be walking mm-hmm. around inside of a giant hamster wheel, basically. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay, I mean, that's a that's a good analogy. Yeah, they're not publishing a room rate yet, but uh, Virgin Galactic, uh, which is one of the carriers that would get you there, I guess, mm-hmm. is uh, talking about a price of about $250,000 oh. per person per trip. Wow. Now, of course, with the way the dollar's going, you know, by the time this is up there, that might not be that much money anymore. But uh, Right yeah, now, minimum wage will be ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. The, the Virgin Galactic thing that they're talking about in this article—that's before the space station's there. This is just a trip to go up into orbit or suborbit and then come back down. This isn't to stay in space. This is to go up and come back down. I don't know. In the Virgin Starship or whatever, whatever it's called. Huh. Yeah. There's. Yeah. Huh. Like, ooh, that's pretty spendy. <laughs> it it is, but you know, I just I don't trust SpaceX. To be <laughs> honest, I I, I have I, my reasons, you. and some of that is because it's like, how did you mess up stuff that we solved in the fifties and sixties? You know, NASA. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> well, they keep having lately. They're having problems landing stuff and having it not blow up mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. So, which it is. Reusable stuff is just kind of a joke. I'm not going to lie. And, and it's just because of logistics and money. Like, they're like, oh, this, this, and this. The space shuttle, like the one that has put so many things into space, the one that we see on all the NASA launches, you know, that sends people up to the International Space Station, that thing basically was built to be reusable. But the amount of work it takes to get it from, you know, back to earth and launch they have to completely strip and rebuild the whole thing every time just the heat panels you know well and that's why they had more than one oh yeah Mm -hmm. because you're talking years of work 
taking panels that got up to, geez, I don't even, I think re-entry temperatures 4,000. Yeah, I so, believe so. So maybe they that. need to rethink the process of, of travel. You know, maybe they have to think that through a bit more. You know, I think I'll, I'll see how it goes, but I think I'll be more comfortable when I can beam up. We'll mm. see where this ends up. This is User Friendly <laughs> 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week, guys. So, yeah. you know, we, is, is, we've been going through lockdown and then not lockdown, but everything's closed stuff. We've been talking in this segment a lot about streaming and uh, some of the different things we have. And I understand you have a new show that you've kind of bumped into this week. Yeah. Um, you know, boredom sets in and I'm trying to find something that I find interesting. And I just happened to come across something called Men in Kilts. A Road Trip with Sam and Graham. Okay. Now, both of these actors uh, had roles in a TV show called Outlander, which I haven't seen, but it's like a historical it's, drama? It, it's, it's a drama, but it involves time travel, so it's not necessarily historical. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, is, it is a lot of Scottish Highlands and Scottish history, and it's filmed in Scotland, so the, the views are just absolutely gorgeous. So this must be where these guys got the idea to do a road trip through Scotland. That's Men in Kilts, a road trip with Sam and Graham. And, um, they're both funny. They're both funny, yeah. Uh, they're kind of strange at times. So um, if you're kind of, um, I don't know, prissy, uh, there is a scene where, where uh, one fellow has to run into the ocean naked because they made a bet over who would do better over trying Highland games, okay, Scottish games. So one guy lost the bet. So if you're, you're like freaked out by nudity, well, maybe this isn't the show for you. Yeah, well. <laughs> They, it's, it's a fascinating show. We've we've seen three of the episodes that they've had out, and it's basically they they drive all around Scotland, and they try the, the like the first one was they tried all the the food and drink that Scotland is is famous for, so you know the fresh seafood, uh, the really elaborate type things like haggis, you know, because it's got so many different ingredients in it. Um, you can't convince me that haggis is a good idea. <laughs> no, I um, like haggis, but anyway, that's a, yeah, I was, yeah they did time the, for that argument. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they, there was an episode where they did the song, songs and dances and talked about the, the bagpipes and all the different types of dancing and where the dances came from. And then um, in the episode of the food and drink, they actually went to a little tiny island that has 20 different distilleries on it. Oh, wow. So, you know, they, then they went to the, um, and I can never pronounce the name of that, that, that uh, whiskey. But they, they went to a distillery, talked with the owner. Oh. They, were, they were shown, you know, all the different things about the distillery and how long it's been there. And they sampled some of the stuff with, with the, the host from the distillery. is like, well, you know, here's a bottle from when I started. The year I started here, this is that bottle. And it's, you know, it's at least 20 years old. So, you know, that's not bad. Right. And then there was things about the dancing. Uh, there was a, uh, a young woman who was trying to teach them how to do the dance with the swords. <laughs> And they were saying that a lot of, oh, sorry. I, I, I was going to ask you because we're about out of time. Is where do you find it online? 
Oh, uh, Stars or Prime Video channels. Okay, so check it out and let us know what you think. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.